Yeah? Really? Hot? You're always hot. Yeah. I'm not going to touch that one, Logan. I'm going to just let it lie. I'm just going to let it lie. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Proverbs 22 tonight, taking a look at uh, what the Lord has for us as we continue our journey through the Proverbs. Now, again, just by way of reminder, as we go, we're, uh, we're about nine chapters from finishing, and as we work our way through, we want to remember, tonight we're going to cover one of the areas that sometimes that people struggle with when they come to the Proverbs. We want to realize or understand that Proverbs are street signs, like direction markers. Am I on the right road? Am I headed in the right direction? Uh, that's the purpose, the point for which they exist, to, to show us where to go and how to walk. And they are, they do not serve in that uh, sense as promises. Street signs. Not promises, street signs. What direction am I heading in? Am I going toward life? Am I going toward destruction? Do I need to change my direction? Do I need to change the things that I'm doing? So we want to be aware of that tonight as we look. We want to be reminded of it as we work our way through uh, Proverbs chapter 22. Let's read it together. It says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Drive out a scoffer, strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. He who loves purity of heart, and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the traitor. The sluggard says, There is a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. And the mouth of the forbidden woman is like a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Whoever oppresses the poor... To increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Incline your ear, hear the words of the wise, apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you today, even to you. Have I not written for you thirty sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true, that you may give a true answer to those who send you. Do not rob the poor, because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob life from those who rob them. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. 
Be not one of those who give pledges or who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. Do you see a man who is skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before before obscure men. Let's pray. God, we lift up uh, this section of Proverbs tonight, Lord, and we pray that you would guide us through it, Lord. You would open our eyes, God, to the street signs, the, the things that this book describes to us, the wise sayings that lead us in the path of life and help us to turn our back to the path of destruction. Lord, we ask that you would bless this time, God, that you would speak to us through your word as we lift it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we begin. We begin with a, a concept of the Lord's sovereignty over wealth. And he says it like this in verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The idea of having before God and people uh, a good character is of more value than money. Now, in our world, sometimes people are willing to sell whatever it takes, right? To have uh, power, prestige, uh, you know, whatever it is that they're chasing, and they'll sacrifice character for it. But the Bible would tell us that's not the path of life. It's the path of what? Destruction, right? That's the wrong way. That's the wrong way. We want to have good character. We want to have, be a, ma- a man or woman of good uh, report right among among men and before God. You know it's it's always uh, an exciting thing for me when God says of Moses, or when God says of John the Baptist. You know, among those born of of women, none were greater than John the Baptist. Or when the Lord says of Moses, there was never a more humble man than Moses. That those men had a good report before the Lord. Their character, right? Not not what they said they were, but, but who they were in actuality. And that's something that's worthy of our time and effort. Amassing wealth is not bad. It's just not as good as having that good name, having that good character. And then he goes on to describe it. The rich and the poor meet together. What's he mean? The Lord is the maker of them all. Who made the rich? God. Who made the poor? And I think you can go even beyond the simple aspect of who created mankind and, and step into the realm of who, who gave favor that the rich man would be rich. Who, who gave favor that the poor man would be poor. Sometimes we assume that the poor is, is somehow uh, a less worthy or less valuable, but that's not what the Bible teaches us, especially in Proverbs. In Proverbs, remember, there's always these comparisons that we have going on. The wise man and the fool, right? The wise man is the one who follows the Lord, and the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The sluggard, the lazy man, and the man who's diligent, right? You have the idea of the prudent man and the simple. All of these are just simple descriptions, descriptors for us to understand how do I want to be, how do I want to walk? And the example more often in Scripture is that we would have the attitude of the poor. We would have the humility, I guess. And we would be careful 
since, especially for us, since we're not poor, to make sure we're not oppressing the poor. And that's the point that the Lord moves to. Look what he says in verse 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. There's your descriptors. The prudent, well, if I'm going to walk on the path of life, then I'm going to pay attention to what's going on. <laughs> right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look, see danger, and make adjustments. I'm not just going to plow blindly on. But he says the simple, he sees it and just keeps on and he suffers for it. When he could have made an adjustment and didn't, he's, he finds himself on hard times simply because he's the simple man. Remember, the simple man is the man who doesn't know better. But the prudent man is the man who understands there are street signs that tell me where to go. And those street signs tell me if I see danger, get, get out of the way. We really don't have a problem with that, do we? I mean, most of us, we went outside tonight, we get into the parking lot to go to our car, and there's a lion out there. We're going to do something different. Yeah? The simple man is just going to keep trying to get to his car. I'm going to hang out here. <laughs> and, and if you walk out them doors, I'm going to bar them behind you. So just in case a lion gets in on the way back. Right? We, we, want, we want to make adjustment for danger is the point that the Word of God is laying out for us. And then he says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. The point is not whether we have money or we don't, whether or not we make always prudent decisions. The point is, can we walk in humility? Will we choose to, to walk in humility and the fear of the Lord? Do we want to please God with our life? That's the summation of the examples that he's given us. Street signs, want to be prudent, want to take prudent action. I also want to recognize that God made the rich and the poor, that God is sovereign over those things, which means he deserves praise. Whether I'm rich, he deserves praise, whether I'm poor. Either way, he's my creator. And in and through it all, I want to learn to walk in humility. Remember, one of our number one problems, especially in the United States of America, is to walk in, walking in pride. Right? Most of us, when we're offended... That's a sign. Your pride just got hammered. Somebody said something that dinged it, did something that dinged it, and now we're dealing with offense. Rather, we want to learn. Walk in humility. Walk in humility and the fear of the Lord. I want to please God. And what's the, what's the result? Where will that road end? Okay, it's not the idea that, well, then people are just going to come give you money and you'll have riches. Where does the road end? If I'm living in humility and the fear of the Lord... It ends in life, right? The riches of the grace of God. Experiencing those things that God has for us. That's the road that we want to find ourselves on. Scripture goes on. Talks about uh, educating our youth. Look what it says, verse 5. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. So the idea is, okay, thorns and snares, those things that are going to trap us. The idea of things that are going to, in fact, the Proverbs is going to talk about some. It's already talked about the immoral woman, right? We want to stay away from the immoral woman. It's going to talk about the idea of wine. That Not necessarily that wine in and of itself is evil, but there is a thing in regard to wine that people find themselves in places where they ought not to have been. There, those are snares, and the idea is, if we have taught those things, 
This is the point we're going to get to in the next verse. If we have taught those things, then our children will be better for it. If we haven't, if we haven't taught them the road signs, then they don't know I'm on the crooked road. Look around. I see the snares. Look around. Is this the very thing that the Bible has been warning me about? I probably need to change the road I'm on. So the idea, whoever guards his soul, whoever is, wants to have life, the idea is the one who treasures life, he's going to stay away from the snares. Yeah? Going to stay away. There, there was a time in my life I made some decision that there were some things in my life I had to stay away from. If you want to hang out in those things, you're welcome to. I, it doesn't make any difference to me. Knock yourself out. But I know I value my life. I don't want to be near them. I want to stay where I don't have to worry that, uh, where, or where mistakes or failures can be made. So I want to keep myself far from that. Then he goes on in verse 6. To tell us our role. Train up a child in the way he should go. That is our job. The emphasis on this proverb is that. We should be training up our children. Teaching them the road signs. Showing them how to stay off the crooked path. Teaching them the things that we can teach them. Because when we do that, we are walking the path of life. Now, a lot of times people want to take this proverb and turn it into a promise. If I train up my child on the way he will go, then he will never depart from it. That's not what this proverb is teaching. This proverb is giving you a road sign. The road sign is our role as parents, uh, teachers, friends, wherever we find ourselves, is to show our children the way. When we do that, when you and I are doing that, we're walking the path of life. Our children are going to have to make their own choice. How many have realized that already? We don't get to make those for them. I try. I have, I don't even know how old my kids are. How old are my kids? 28, 25? He's going to be 30? You're kidding me. Oh my God, I'm old. So I have a 30, then Cole must be what, 26 or 7? And Joe's going to be 22? Oh, Lord have mercy. So, you know, I, I still try. The only one I get to make decisions for is Cole. Or, sorry. I still do that at home all the time. Joe thinks his name's Cole half the time. Um, is Joe. Uh, I have guardianship of him, so I actually get to make his decisions. But the other ones I try. Yeah, you probably don't want to do that. And how many have learned that your adult children have their own mind and do what they want? So our role as a, as a grandparent, as a parent, is still show my children where the straight road is and I'll be walking the path of life. You guys with me? That they still have to make these same decisions that we've been saying. They've got to pay attention to the road signs, right? And get on the road that they need to get on. Scripture goes on to tell us now in verse 7 how the Lord punishes and rewards. It says, the rich rules over the poor... And the borrower is slave of the lender. The idea is synonymous comparison, comparison of thought. The rich rules over the poor, the borrower is the poor, and he is the slave of the lender who is the rich. The concept that he's talking about is oppression. He's going to kind of build on that, the idea of it, in the next verse. 
Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. Now, are we aware, how many of us may be aware that, especially in a capitalistic economic system, there is a point where rich take advantage of the poor? That's just reality. I'm not trying to say that right, wrong, or different. That's just how it is. The rich take advantage of the poor. And God says, I don't like injustice. I don't like injustice. I don't like, I don't like people taking advantage of others simply because of their economic status uh, and where they find themselves. Now, <clears throat> people learned a long time ago that the, the wealthy can get wealthier when they do that. And the poor will have to do the job for the price that they have to do the job for because they're poor and they need the money in order to live. But the idea that God is laying out is, if you sow injustice, you will reap calamities. Now, stop. What, what does that mean? What's the road? If I'm on the road of injustice, where does it end? Calamity. Destruction. The wrong road, right? That's not the road I want to walk on. That's not the road on which I found Christ, right? The road I found Christ on was not the road of injustice. It was grace, mercy, just, good, right? We want to... We want to recognize those things. So what's he, he's given us a street sign, right? Hey, if you're unjust, if you are uh, oppressing or oppressive, you're on the wrong road. That road's not going to end where you want it to end. And the rod of his fury, his being the nearest antecedent is the wealthy, the, the lender, his fury is going to fail. Where... Perhaps uh, he has authority over the one whom he oppresses. Once upon a time, the Egyptians had whips upon which they could whip the backs of the Israelites, right? But the day came when the Israelites took the whips away and walked out of Egypt. He says, your, your fury is going to fail. You're going to lose that position. You'll lose that place. Again, what's the point? The point is not if I oppress there's always going to be justice in this life. The point is, if I oppress, the road I'm on is going to lead to judgment. The, lo- the road I'm on is going to lead to calamity. And that's not the road I want to walk. That's not the result I want in life, right? The result I want in life is to be able to honor the Lord. Now, he compares it in verse 9 with whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. Why? Because he shares his bread with the poor. Think about what Jesus said. Whenever you've done unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done unto me. Well, Lord, when did we see you naked and clothe you, or hungry and feed you, or in prison and visited you? Jesus said, when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now, the least of these, I think, is pretty all-encompassing. The Lord does call for there to be generosity within his people, right? I'm not saying generosity is the same thing as stupidity. I'm not telling you what you have to do or how you have to do it. But I am saying if you're being generous, you're on the road of life. And if you're being Scrooge, you're not. So we want to walk. We want to be generous. Not saying the Bible says to be wise as serpents. Interesting choice of words, no? Isn't that not interesting? What does that immediately make you think of? Yeah, Eve in the garden, right? The Nahash. The Nahash, which literally means the shining one, 
which is a symbol or a sign that someone is speaking to that which they think is divine. Well, that, was, that would be how an angel would appear to most of us, right? A shining one, something bigger, grander, larger than I am. And so that same word is used. Be wise as a serpent. That, that serpent in the garden was pretty tricksy, yeah? But then what's the next part of that phrase? We've we got to keep the phrase together, right? Because if we're only wise as serpents, then we're going to do harm. The other part is be wise as serpents and, yeah, gentle as a dove, harmless as a dove. So the idea, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt somebody, but I'm not trying to be dumb. Does that make sense? I'm trying to utilize wisdom and gentleness. And that goes across the board. When the Lord says, hey, if you got a, if you, this great way to look at it, but if you got a brother who's got something stuck in his eye, how does God want you to take it out? Gentle, don't he? How do you want him to take it out? If there's a big, if there's a, if there's a sliver in your eye, how do you want somebody to take it out? Oh, come here, I got some needle nose. You gonna let me at your eyeball? You might, depends on what's in there. Yeah? How do we want to do it? We want to do it gently and meekly. The scripture says, considering yourself, lest you also fall. The idea is that we recognize in the one whom we're trying to help, that I could be where they are. That helps me be gentle. If I broke my arm before, and I see a a kid out here run down the hallway, slip on a tile, fall down, break his arm, I'm going to be really gentle because I know how it feels. You with me? I'm going to be gentle on how I try to help him, on how I try to care for him. That's how we ought to care for one another, the same way. Gently. The Bible's fraught with that concept, that idea. Be gentle with one another. Be careful with one another. Be loving with one another. Help one another. Be wise about it. But be gentle. Be careful how we do the things that we do. So we want to be those who are generous. Then he goes on to talk about a little bit about wealth and morality. Look at verse 10. He says, drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. So the scoffer, remember the scoffer slash mocker. Same, same term, same word. The idea we have is this progression. You, the, the, the unbeliever, if you will, starts as the simple, doesn't understand right from wrong, moves to the scoffer, becomes a mocker of God and the things of God, moves from there to the fool. You with me? So the scoffer is in that middle position, and the scoffer is, is in that position where he wants to cause trouble. So if you got somebody who likes to start fights, all you got to do is get rid of them, and guess what happens? No more fights. Ah, oh, so peaceful. So nice. Just ask a teacher. Who has that kid who is a big, giant pain in the neck in class. When he doesn't show up, what happens? Oh, oh man, was such a good day. It was so peaceful. So the, the, what the Bible is laying out for us, look, we find ourselves in a position of authority and you have a troublemaker. Don't be afraid to deal with a troublemaker. Don't be afraid to say, yeah, if I put him out. The, the trouble will cease. The, the quarreling will go away. The abuse will stop. And then he gives us the view. Here's what we want. He who loves purity of heart 
and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. So rather than being a scoffer, causing fights wherever we go, what's he saying? We want to have purity of heart and graciousness of speech. Purity of heart. Purity of heart, best described, is that which will not impute ill will upon another. Purity of heart is that which will not impute ill will upon another. That's how you have a pure heart. Yeah, I don't see all the evil in the world every time I look out there at somebody. Oh, that's a bad guy. Oh, that that person, this person, the other person. Nope. The pure of heart isn't like that. The pure heart is standing in the righteousness of God and is like Jesus, has eyes like Jesus has. Jesus was never offended to talk to a prostitute, was he? He didn't didn't trip on it. Other people did, but he didn't. What about to the leper, the the outcast, the absolute worst person in society? In fact, the, the scribes and the Pharisees' charge against him was he hangs out with sinners. Wine bibbers and sinners. He's with the lower class people. He really needs to come to the upper class side of town. We probably need to recognize that, that that was his attitude. Pure, blessed are the pure of heart, for they will do what? They will see God. They will see God. Man, I want to have a pure heart. I want to see people like God sees them. I want to, I want to love what he loves, hate what he, what he hates. I'm okay with that. Right? I want to love what he loves. I want to have, I want to begin to draw on the characteristics of God in my life. What's the road sign tell me when I'm doing that, when I have purity of heart and my speech is, is seasoned with grace? I'm a friend of the king. I'm on the road of life. Right? Friend of the king, that's a good road to walk. The enemy of the king, not so good. Yeah, he hunts you down. <laughs> it's not good. So we want to walk the road of life. Well, he goes on. The Lord upholds truth. Look at verse, look at verse 12. The eyes of the Lord watch over knowledge, but he overthrows the words of a traitor. Now this is going to drive us through the next couple of verses. But as we look at it, the idea, the eyes of the Lord, he's watching over knowledge. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And the understanding, wisdom, and knowledge all stem from that concept, having a comprehension or understanding of the Lord God. So here we have the Lord saying, I'm watching over knowledge. Now, if you read Romans chapter 1, you know what you discover? Romans chapter 1 will tell you that every man knows God. Romans chapter 1 says you don't have to give any man evidence for the existence of God, because every man knows God. I've never talked to an atheist yet that's not mad at God. Which is a little weird if you don't believe in him. Right? If, if I say, you know, I don't, I don't even know. If I say, Dodge doesn't exist, and then I spend all my life arguing about what a piece of junk Dodge is, there's a problem. There's inconsistency in my statement. If it doesn't exist, then it doesn't exist. I shouldn't have any time for it. Does that make sense? But rather, instead, what you find most of the time is there's anger and frustration toward the God who is because in some way or some 
part he has let them down in, in some part of their life. And they're struggling with, well, how, how do I deal with this, the reality of evil in my life, or disappointment in my life, or whatever has happened. But it's not the existence of God. According to Romans 1, every man knows God because God has shown himself to them. That's what it says. Romans 1, 18 to 23. Somewhere in that area. Take a, take a listen, take a look, and you'll see. The Lord keeps watch over knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the traitor. One, knowledge is a path of life. Being a traitor is a path of destruction. I want to be a traitor? Nope. Do I want to guard knowledge? Do I want to hold knowledge? Do I want to treasure knowledge, which is the fear of the Lord? Sure, I want to treasure those things. Now, he's going to show us what treacherous words look like in the next Two verses. The sluggard says, There's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the street. Now here's why I know that is hogwash. Because he's a sluggard. Yeah? And what what is the sluggard saying? I can't go to work today. I can't go out today because there's a lion out there. So i got to stay home. That's treacherous speech. A lie is treacherous speech. Lazy lies and treacherous words. Look at verse 14. The mouth of the forbidden woman is a deep pit. Treacherous words. What's a forbidden woman say? Oh, come lay with me. We'll take our fill in love. Everything's going to be okay. That is exactly what how Proverbs described her. The Lord says, that's a deep pit. If you follow that road, lazy lies and treacherous words, you're going to fall in the pit. You'll be trapped in the snare. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. Who is, with whom is the Lord angry? Those who reject the path of life. Those who choose to walk. There is a way that seems right to a man, but that road leads where? Destruction. I don't want to walk the one that seems right to a man. I want to walk the one that Jesus says, come follow me. So that's, that's the way that I want to go. Now, he says in verse 22, every child's favorite verse. Kathy had these verses written on every paddle we had in the house. Every single one. This one and a, a father who loves his, his children disciplines him promptly. These two. This one right here. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Well, here's another way to say it. What you tolerate, you encourage. So if you don't like what's going on, then you ought to not tolerate it. Right? Everybody needs boundaries. Don't be afraid to set up your boundaries. It was vital, a thing of vital importance for Kathy and I that our boys learn to accept our discipline and judgment. That's how that worked for us. Discipline was all about assuming the position. And you're going to do it of your own free will. Because if i got to make you do it, I'm going to beat you till I'm tired. And back then I was in better shape than I am today. So I didn't get tired as fast. The point was I want you to acknowledge that, I, that you have done wrong and I have the right to discipline you. And when you do that, discipline's short and easy. And when you do it not, discipline is long and harder. Yeah, that's good. Just the right amount of mean. That's what we're going for. What's the Word of God say? Folly is bound up in a child. How do we get it out of them? Discipline. 
Now, it's not just talking about beating. It's about talking about giving borders, giving guidelines, putting a fence around the playground and saying, you can do this, but you can't do that. That's what discipline is all about. And that's a vital part of parenting, a very important part of parenting. And if you're doing it, guess what? You're on the path of life. And if you're not, you're on the path of destruction. Still time to change the road you're on. goes on in verse 16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own, re- his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. What's that mean? What road is that on? Where does it lead? Destruction. That's not where I want to go. I don't want to go that way. So what's that mean? Don't oppress the poor to increase your wealth. Don't oppress the poor to increase your wealth or give to the rich. God expects you, yeah, God expects you to be generous. God expects you to be helpful. But when he talks about these ideas, when he says giving to the rich, the rich are the oppressor, the lender. The concept is floating a bribe so you can get off, get over. He says, don't do that stuff. That's not the path of life. That's a path of destruction. Don't do it. Don't oppress the poor. Don't oppress the poor. Don't uh, give bribes to the rich. Stay away from the pathway of destruction. Now, right here is an interesting thing in the book of Proverbs. A lot of people don't talk about it. I don't know why, but I'm going to talk about it. And, and hopefully it doesn't bring you confusion. We are now in a section of Proverbs. It runs from 22.17 all the way to 24.22. It's called the 30 wise sayings, or the 30 sayings of the wise. In this section, Solomon, when he was king, traveled all around the world, talked to all kinds of people, and amassed all kinds of Proverbs. The Bible tells us all about it. He had one of the most definitive uh, collections of Proverbs from around the world. And from those Proverbs, he coalesced this section. So these Proverbs that we're about to read in the Bible, you can find in, uh, I think it's a Menotep in, of Egypt and other surrounding areas from their wise sayings. It is Solomon taking from those. He's going he's gonna to creatively construct them, blend them together, and he's going to make 30 wise sayings. This is done by Solomon. It is under the anointing of God, and he... Is it possible for someone who doesn't know God to say something godly? You guys remember Caiaphas, don't you? You know, the guy who crucified Christ? You know that the Bible says that he prophesied? Yeah, that means he spoke, thus saith the Lord, and he didn't know it. When he said it is prudent for one man to die for the people. Him being a high priest that year prophesied. It doesn't require doesn't require Caiaphas to know what's going on. It's possible for men to be moved in that way. And here Solomon, a man gifted by God with wisdom, is able to bring those together. So oftentimes when I talk about stuff like this, people go, what about the rest of the book? Let me give you another little side note. You guys ever heard of the book of Enoch? The book of Enoch is quoted in the Bible several places. People ask me all the time, well, what part of the book of Enoch is is inspired and what parts, what parts not. It's easy. The parts that are quoted, that's inspired. The ones that ain't, ain't. 
If it didn't make it in, it didn't belong in. Period. Yeah, is God not able to get across to us what he needs to get across to us? Yeah, so the, the quoting from the book of Enoch in, in the time of the disciples, it's the disciples, it's the New Testament that quotes from the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch would have been written during the inter- intertestamental period, which is the 400 years of silence. You guys with me? The, New, the Old Testament ended, there was 400 years of silence, so there was a, several writings that were brought together called the Book of Enoch. It wasn't written by Enoch, it doesn't date back to Enoch, but it's talking about some of the things that go back to Enoch, those events that happened, and describing what they thought about those events in those days. And there were a few things out of that book that people got right. God said, yeah, quote that. Jude, quote that. Peter, quote that. And so when they wrote their epistles, they did. To say, yep, here, listen to this. Listen to what Enoch says. Listen listen to what it says in the book of Enoch. So we don't have to freak out. We just go, yeah, it's possible that God is able to speak through those guys. Those wise men from those other nations. Do do we really, we don't really believe that God left all those nations without a witness, do we? We don't really believe that God didn't work through, let me ask you a question. You guys know that when Moses was on the backside of the desert, he ran into a man that was going to become his father-in-law, right? What's his name? Jethro, something like that, right? And Jethro was called a priest of Media, a priest of the what? Most High God. How did he come to know him? I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it was God Most High, right? It was... It was, what about Abraham coming back from the battle of the five kings? He runs into a guy named Melchizedek, right? Melchizedek, everybody remember him? People still argue about who he is today. I'm going to solve the whole mystery for you. Melchizedek is Melchizedek. That's his name. But Jesus did not show up and say, hey guys, my name's Melchizedek. I don't think so. No, people disagree with me. That's okay. I've often told people, you're welcome to be wrong. I don't mind. You can have whatever opinion you want. But what's the point? Melchizedek is called the priest of what? Most High God. How did he come to know the Most High God? Bible doesn't tell us. My point? God had witness, more witness than what we see and what we read. The Bible tells the story about how God redeems mankind. And he's telling us the story through the nation of Israel. This is the picture and the plan that God has had. But he did not leave the nations without a witness. You guys heard about the three wise men at Christmas? Where did they come from? How do they know Messiah is going to be born? How do they know the star was a sign of Messiah? How do they put all those things together? Well, simple answer is there was a fellow where they came from who ended up being the chief of the Magi. You guys know what his name was? Daniel. Yeah, you don't think Daniel left something behind? You don't think maybe Daniel left behind some concepts and some ideas that were passed on to those guys, the Magi, with whom they were able to put these things together? So my point is, when we look at these next several Proverbs, they're like that. They're a witness of God in and proverbial sayings that come from other places that Solomon brought together. I don't know why people freak out about it, but you shouldn't. All right, so that's what we're going to take a look at. We're going to look at the sayings here. 
as we move forward, here's the prologue. Chapter 22, verse 17. This is like the introduction to the, to the uh, uh, 30 sayings of the wise. Incline your ear, hear the words of the wise. Apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you today, even to you. Have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true, that you may give a true answer to those who sent you. So what's he telling us? Listen in here. Apply these things to your heart. Trust in the Lord. Take an active part in taking these wise sayings and internalizing them. Making them a part of your life. Pay attention to the road signs. So Solomon's telling us, here it comes. I'm going to give you 30 wise sayings. I'm going to lay them out from before you. So this, the first one. Listen here. Apply your heart. Trust in the Lord. Saying number two is in verse 22. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob the life of those who rob them. Does that sound like something different than what we've been reading as we've been going through Proverbs? We've heard this phrase said differently several times, right? Don't oppress the poor, don't oppress the poor, don't oppress the poor. Why do you think God has to tell us so much? Because we don't listen, maybe? Why do you have to tell your kids so many times? Stop touching that. Stop touching that. Stop touching that. Stop touching that. No? How about, don't touch your brother. Don't touch your brother. Stop touching your brother. Stop touching. Just don't even sit by him. Sit further apart. Get further. Get on the other side of the car. You get in the back of the car. You get in the front of the car. No, we didn't have these conversations. And as a parent, did you ever feel like you're saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over? Yeah, well, God is a parent, and he's looking at us, and he's saying, if sooner or later you guys are going to listen, do not oppress the poor, right? Do not oppress the poor. That road does not the road of life. It, it does not lead uh, to where you want to go. So do not exp- uh, exploit the weak or the poor. Look at the saying number 3, 24, verse 24. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. What's he saying? Stay clear of a wrathful man. Stay clear from a a guy who is constantly getting in fights and arguments. Stay clear unless you want to be like him. You want to know what you're going to be like? What our children are going to be like? Show me who they're hanging out with. I'll tell you how they're going to be. You become like the people you hang out with. No? Yeah, absolutely you do. I ain't never seen it work the other way. I am going to to go down into this drug culture and I'm going to save my friend who's caught in it. I ain't never seen it work. I've seen the friend get stuck in the drug culture, but I ain't never seen it come out. Not by doing it that way. What's the Bible's telling us? That's not the path of life. The path of life is not... Don't go become a drug addict to save drug addicts. Oh, but Paul said, become all things to all men. So I'm going to become a drug addict so I can... No, don't do that. It's okay to go where they are. That's not the same thing, right? Jesus went where they were. But he didn't become them. He went where they, where they were. So we don't want to... We want to steer clear of those friendships that will cause us to stumble. Saying number three. Saying number four. Be not one of those who gives pledges or puts up security for debts. Have we heard that before? 
Does America have a problem with indebtedness? Are you kidding me? I mean, after all this time, when we know credit cards are probably a bad thing, we still have credit card debt? Well, I wonder why. Maybe we need to say more often, stop being security. Stop being security. Stop, 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 stop. Why do we say it over and over again? Because we don't learn. Repetition is the mother of learning. Don't be, a, don't be a security for others' debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, if you can't pay somebody else for whom you co-signed, they come for your stuff. Why should you lose your bed? That's what the verse says. Why should you lose your stuff for them? If, they, if a person can't work it out on their own, God says don't become surety for someone else. Don't become, that's not the path of life. Do not become a surety for others. Why? Because God wants you to be a good steward. Here's, here's a little mind blower. Why is that important? Because it's not your stuff. It's God's. Did you ever think about that? That stuff in the checkbook, that's not yours. That's God's. That stuff in your house, that's not yours. That's God's. He made the world and the fullness thereof. It is all his. He gave it to you as a steward. Take care of it. Yeah. And there's a day of reckoning. Right? You remember the story Jesus told about the talents? What was that about? Some were given five, one, five, ten. Uh, when the talents are given out, what is there after that happens? A day of reckoning. No. There's a day of reckoning with who? The master. The master comes home and says, hey, what'd you do with what I gave you? Yeah? It's God's stuff. It's his stuff. So be a good steward of what God has given you. Saying number five. Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. This is going to come up several times. What does that mean? Don't violate other purples, other purples. (laughs) What's a purple? Okay, let's try it again. Do not violate other person's personal property rights. That's hard to say, by the way, without saying purple. So the idea was you had, we had these stones set up that, that marked your property. And God says, don't sneak out at night when your neighbor's sleeping and move the stones further so you get more and you're taken from him. It's just injustice. It's not the way of life. We don't want to walk that way, so we don't want to violate uh, people's property. Especially the nation of Israel, guys, that the inheritance was eternal. You know, when, when God gave the inheritance to Judah, that was always theirs. Until, until the day of, of uh, exile, that was always theirs. And they were never to lose it. That's why you, you couldn't sell it. You couldn't sell it away and have it go someplace else. No, it always had to remain within the family. Don't violate the right of their personal property. The last one we'll look at tonight, saying six. Do you see the skilled man in his work? He'll stand before kings, not before obscure men. In other words, a skillful man doesn't bury his talents. Skillful man, this is again the concept of the skillful versus the slothful. The, the, the diligent and the lazy. The skillful man, he's going to rise. The skillful man's going to utilize his God-given talents and he's going to stand before the king. What's that mean? Skillful man who walks in the giftings that God's given him, is walking the path of life. The man who doesn't, 
who says, there's a lion outside, he might eat me, I'm going to just stay in here and play Xbox. That man is not on the path of life. Pay attention to the road signs. There's still time to change the road we're on. Right? Yeah. Do you have one? Oh. You don't have it? They stole it? I was going to ask you to give it to me. <laughs> I've been working on that SIG you got for a long time, huh? Yeah. I'll stop now. I won't. I'll bug you later. Why don't we stay? I want you guys to stay with me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, God, for your word, the truth of your word, leading us on the street signs, showing us where to walk, how to walk, God, how to be men and women walking in righteousness, bringing honor and glory to you, Lord. That's our desire. We want to glorify you by the things we say. We want to glorify you by the things we do. Lord, I want to personally, I just want to be on the road that Jesus is calling me to walk. Come follow me. Help me pay attention to the road signs. Help me do the things that your word is calling me to. A lot of men, when they they struggle with what does it mean to show God respect, and I think probably one of the best ways we can show that we respect God is not how we dress, it is how we obey. That we follow you, Lord God. Many of you, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? May that not be who we are, God. May we be men and women who say, Lord, 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 speaking by the Spirit of God, no man except through the Spirit can say, Jesus is Lord. Lord God, we just pray, glorify, uh, glorify your name as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.